Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Recovering You. For those of you joining us for the first time, this is a podcast where we take you step by step through what to expect when you step into a life of recovery from your addiction. I'm once again joined by my co-host and friend, Chris Sexton. Hey, everybody. Excited to be here. So last week, for those of you that maybe didn't join us, hopefully people picked up on the fact that- And if you didn't, you should go back and listen to this one. Yes. (laughs) We we try and do things in as much of an order as possible that would make sense while you're going through recovery. But last week, I mean, you could insert that anywhere in this story, and it would be of so much value. We interviewed the legend, Cody Haas, who changed my life who really just, I think, gave an amazing insight into not only what therapists go through, but what they are trying to accomplish in the world today with how just, I don't want to say how screwed up everyone is, but but with how much everybody, I mean, everybody struggles with some sort of uh, distraction or difficulty or struggle or compulsory behavior that could benefit from talking to a therapist. You don't have to be an addict or be going through some sort of trauma to talk to the therapist. And I love the points that he was making about wanting to just make it a regular thing, like a regular checkup, going to a doctor or a dentist. So I, 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 that's, that's one of the big things that I got from last week. I, I don't know if there was anything that really stood out to you that you really appreciated about last week. I, I love the point that you brought up too. Uh, you know, we more and more, and it's a good thing. There's, um, the light is being uh, shined on the importance of shine shown. One of those is right um, on the importance <laughs> of mental health, in my opinion, and perhaps rightfully so almost all of that focus is on if you're struggling with depression, anxiety, bipolar struggles, you know, why it's important to em- embrace that that's your reality and, and seek support for that. I think it's equally important um, what Cody highlighted that it's important to take care of your mental health, just like you take care of your physical health. You know, Mm -hmm. that's something that at least from what I've seen, isn't a huge part of the mental health discussion that's going on today, but it's so critical. And if we approach our mental health in a proactive way, um, then we can avoid a whole lot of heartache, a whole lot of pitfalls. Um, So yeah, that's a great episode for anybody addiction, no addiction, um, if you feel like you're on top of the world or you've hit your rock bottom and everything I, in between, everything in between, yeah, yeah. the whole <laughs> crap sandwich, um, you can, you can reach out to a therapist. So, um, listen to that, listen to that episode. And, uh, I think you'll find some good, some good tips from Cody. Um, and, uh, hopefully it opens you up to, to new ways of viewing your own mental health and setting goals for what you want your mental health to be like for you. Awesome. So my, my wife actually, she actually told me this morning that she had a friend reach out to her and just talk about that. The fact that she had shared one of our episodes on Facebook led to someone that we used to know reaching out to her and she didn't tell me the name or anything because she felt like that was kind of more of a private thing. Sure. Uh, you know, said one, one of our friends from when we used to live in Utah, that was, it was in our ward back there. Uh, reached out to her and just shared her appreciation for what we were talking about and how we were 
how we were coming out in the open and making this more of a regular discussion, just like therapy should be more of a regular thing, talking about what's going on with pornography and how it is such a plague amongst people nowadays. But yet at the same time, it's so widely accepted as a normal behavior and even promoted amongst the media and what, what you see on Netflix and on TV and stuff that talking about pornography and masturbation is just kind of this accepted and almost mocked thing. And, and that's what that's what Satan loves to hear is that something so serious and damaging is being laughed at as kind of a joke and accepted as a normal thing, because that means he's winning. And so what we are here to do is to try and sober up that opinion a little bit and say that, you know, just because everyone else is talking about it like a normal thing doesn't mean that it's an okay behavior, that it's something that we should accept as, you know what, this is a healthy thing. This is helping you explore your sexuality. And this is helping you discover more about who you really are. No, actually, it's just totally warping your mind to look at women in an inappropriate and sexualized manner. Yeah. And men and men too, for sure. I, I, I like how you frame that. I, one of the, um, guys that I love listening to is Dave Ramsey. Um, he's a pretty common name, but if you don't know what he does, he helps um, with financial counseling and helps people who are in debt get out of debt. And he has a saying, he says, normal is broke. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so don't be normal, be weird. Um, and I think that applies, that applies to, right? <laughs> so that applies to more than just, you know, our finances, right? If whatever he says, you know, 60% of the United States doesn't have $2,000 set aside for an emergency or whatever it is. Um, be weird, you know, be that minority. Um, there's a scripture in Alma and Alma is a book in the book of Mormon uh, for those not familiar with the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and talks about how wickedness never is happiness uh, because it's contrary to the nature of God. And so God embodies happiness. You know, we talk about God being love. God is also happiness and he wants us to be happy. And like you highlighted, the devil tries to twist that to say, I'm going to take all these things that if looked at in the clear light of day, would you would see how unhappy they made you. I'm going to try and figure out a way to make people think that it, it's actually going to make them happy. And whether that's pornography, whether that's sex addiction, bad eating habits, be it anorexia, bulimia, or overeating life is hard and and there's there's stuff that we have to go through just as a consequence of living and and i think we have to get real honest that there's there's positive and healthy ways to deal with with the tough things in life and there's negative and destructive ways to deal with those healthy things and so i hope what folks get out of this no matter where you're at in your journey or or what side of the addiction coin you're on is that at the end of the day, there are, there are healthy and unhealthy ways to deal with the stress that we encounter in life. And, and so hopefully um, in tonight's episode, uh, you'll start to get a handle on how you can see what's healthy and, and how you can, can use the recovery process to embrace that healthy way of seeing yourself and seeing, seeing how to cope with, your, with, with the hard things that you go through in life. Absolutely. I love that you brought up the, the healthy and unhealthy ways. I, I, I feel like that can be segmented right down the middle into two categories as a starting point to 
then break off into all the little subsections. But starting right down the middle is the healthy way is to start talking about it, whether it is with um, a friend, whether it is with uh, a parent. If you know, if, if you're a teenager and your parents are kind of your your lifeline that you go to, do that. If it's an ecclesiastical leader, if it's a therapist, if it's a spouse, whoever it is that that you need to talk to and that you trust. Start talking about it. Start talking about what's going on. Make make the discussion of struggling and how you're feeling about things a regular conversation. Because the other, the flip side of that coin, the unhealthy way of dealing with it is saying, I'll just take care of it on my own. I, I can fix this. I don't need anyone yeah. else's help because then- yeah, or, or I'll hide it. No one has yeah. to know. Yeah, no, no, no one ever has to know what I look up on my computer. That That's my own private life. It doesn't affect anyone else. What a big, fat, bold-faced lie <laughs> that having having your perception of other people basically shaded and clouded and twisted into looking at them, looking at, at women or men as objects for your desires. You can't tell me that doesn't affect other people because any relationship you try and have in the future is going to be affected by what your brain has turned into and how and who you have turned into through that. So yeah, the whole not dealing with it, the whole keeping it a secret and keeping it in the dark, you will stay in that dark. And and I'm not talking about like keeping it a secret. I'm talking about inside yourself will be dark, will be diminished of light, will be absent and void of happiness and hope. Where talking about it may be hard, but at least you will start to find connection and you will open the doors and the windows to let light and communication in. And so it's really important to, um, as I say this, you know, and and I'm talking about going and talking to a bishop or a friend or a parent, you need to trust that person because you shouldn't be just going up to some, you know, coworkers or someone that maybe you don't have a a great relationship (laughs) with and just being like, Hey, so I really want to talk to you about my porn addiction. That's probably not going to go over real well. Yeah, if your boss at work asks at the end of the meeting if there's any questions or open items to discuss, <laughs> that should not be one of them. Yeah. I, I um, like the and and I I want to go deep on this um, okay. because you you and I have talked about trust kind of in passing or we've thrown it into different parts of, of previous podcasts, but yeah. it has popped but, up a lot. But why why is what is trust first of all? Um, you know as as you look at it from your perspective and how, how it's been woven into the fabric of your recovery, what is trust and, and why is that important as we start to look at approaching these, these topics of confession, of having open conversations with people around you? So what, what is trust? What does that look like? How do you know if it's there? And then why is it important or why has it been important for you? Yeah. So for, for me, the way I would probably look at trust and define trust is Trust is a feeling of safety with your most valuable feelings and emotions. So let's let's look at it with uh, the concept of giving someone a hundred dollar bill to go and get you the necessities. This is the same kind of concept of who can I trust to open up to, to 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 ask them for the necessities that they're not going to judge me, they're not going to turn on me, they're not going going to abandon me but they're going to take what I give them and be able to safely guard what I have given them in order to, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's not the best analogy, 
No, I, I like but, that. I think that's perfect um, because I think the word trust has been cheapened a little bit in our society yeah. today. I mean, you hear things like, oh, you can always trust him to look out for his for himself yeah. or you can yeah. trust that I'm going to get back at you. Or, you know, I think there's a big difference between having a relationship that's predictable versus having a relationship that's full of trust, you know, because if, if I've got someone who I've lent money to before, um, or ask them to go buy something for me from the store and they run off with it. Or, you know, I give them a hundred dollar bill and say, Hey, I need a Sprite and a bag of Cheetos and bring me back the change. And they bring you $10 back, <laughs> you know, yeah. And well, we are going that direction with inflation anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but the point of this is, um, before I get into macroeconomics, the point of this is you have relationships that are predictable. And then you have, again, this is healthy versus unhealthy. And you have relationships that are full of trust. And I like how you, how you encompass that to say it's a relationship that you have where you know that whatever you share with that person, give to that person is going to be treated with care. And they're going to interact with you in, a, in, a, in an open and thoughtful and intentional way. Right. Um, well, be, because so when, like when, when you trust someone, you're essentially saying, look, I'm holding something that's too heavy for me. Hmm. And I'm asking you to help me carry this. So I'm going to unload some of this burden on you. And someone that you can trust is going to accept that, take some of that burden and allow you just a little bit of time to rest and figure things out before. And, and, you know, they may hold it for a really long time and they, it might just be a little 15 minute conversation that you have with someone that that's all the rest that you needed. But yeah, essentially trusting someone is saying, just please take some of this burden from me for a while. I love that. Um, I really love that. We did a, we did a workshop several years ago and we had a specialist come in um, on trust. They had done a survey and, and found that trust was low throughout the organization. And one, one thing that that facilitator shared was that trust grows best when it's extended openly. Or, or in other words, you have, to, you have to show someone that you trust them. You have to, you have to give them an opportunity to prove that they're trustworthy. Yeah. She, she shared, shared a simple example of, you know, they did this, this uh, experiment where they're, they're at the airport or a bus stop and someone would say, Hey, I need to go to the bathroom. Can you watch my bag for mm, two minutes? Yeah. And, and, and just that fact that you're extending that you're showing, you're sharing, you know, I have this need. Can you help me? It just planting that seed started to develop that relationship of trust. So why is that important, important though? Um, or, or why has that been important to you, finding, finding people that you can trust? And how does that help with recovery? So for me, finding, finding people that I can trust has honestly probably been one of the key factors in being able to heal. Because before, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't telling anyone. And so therefore, I wasn't lightening my burden. I, I wasn't allowing myself the time to figure things out, to talk through things. And so trusting people when you go to like a recovery group you can trust that no one in there's going to judge you because they're going through the exact same thing right so that's a, that's a pretty yeah. safe space yeah and that kind of atmosphere allows you to take everything that you're struggling and lay it out on the table and be able to examine it 
from a third party perspective, having other people say, okay, I understand what you're going through. I'll just tell you kind of how I dealt with this. And they're kind of taking the puzzle pieces and or all the garbage you've thrown out on the table and saying, this is how I sorted through it. I don't know if that helps. And then another person says, well, I sorted through it this way. And then you're getting this kind of bird's eye view, this third person view of, I can see everything that's on the table and I can see how everyone else has worked through the exact same garbage that I've thrown down. And now I'm able to then take back that garbage with an understanding of now I have tools, now I have understanding, and now I have support to be able to get rid of this or build upon it in a more productive way. Yeah. yeah. So I I think when, when you have people that you can trust, that's when you're finally able to really start to figure things out for yourself because you're getting more than one perspective. And, and I, I want to just issue a little bit of a challenge here for people to do while they're listening to this Um, either pause it or when you're done with this episode, write down the names of people that you, that you feel you could trust with your most sensitive information or like, like say giving someone your bank account information, who could you give that information (laughs) to? And you know, they would never take a dime. They would never share it with anyone. They would be completely trustworthy with that information. And I think what, what is going to shock a lot of people is one of two things, either how many people you have on that list or how few people you have on that list. Yeah. Um, It might just be your dog. So that's a good place to start though. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, it's one of those things that you got to ask yourself, all right, who, who can I really trust? And is it that you are over trusting and you keep finding that your trust is being broken or that you're under trusting and you're not allowing anyone else to help you with that burden that you are carrying around. So you got to find that middle ground. Now, that's interesting. And I want to just touch on this. Um, well, we can touch, we can talk about it as much as you want, but um, you, you, meant, you said broken trust. And, and there's a little bit of a paradox here, right? Or, or something that may seem at odds with itself, because one of the people you have to trust, if you're in a serious relationship, or if you're married, um, it's that spouse, it's that fiance, it's that girlfriend, boyfriend, yeah. and they're going to discover that you have so in you trusting them with this, they, they discover that you have broken their trust and there are consequences uh, of that broken trust. So for, for those who are, are going through this or maybe struggling um, to find their way or, or build up the courage to have that discussion, or there, maybe there's a little bit of fear of the unknown. Let's lay it out there for them a little bit. What are some of the consequences of, of broken trust? Um, what does that look like from a relationship standpoint once someone realizes that you have broken their trust? And then how do you go back about building that trust? Two examples come to mind. Uh, the, the first one is I have three kids, my, my oldest daughter. There have been times where, um, you know, this is a pretty lighthearted example, but I, I tell her, okay. That's I, okay. We're, we're good with lighthearted. That, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. loud. I, I tell her, I need you to promise me that you will go to bed good tonight. Mom's not mm. feeling well. I worked a 14 hour day. We're both just, we, we both just, we need you to be on your best behavior. Be a good example to your siblings. Can you promise me that you'll do this? You know, and, and she'll, yes, I, I promise you I'll go to bed good. And when I go in for the third or fourth time to tell them to be quiet because they're not going to bed and it's an hour and a half past their bedtime, that's usually when the words come out of my mouth that, I trusted you. 
and you lied to me. And now next time when you tell me that you promise me you're going to go to bed good, I'm not going to believe you because you've broken that trust. And so that goes into my next example of basically my wife having that same reaction toward me when I would tell her, I promise that I'm going to change. I promise that I'm going to fix this. I promise that I'm going to get help. And then I come back to her a few months later and I say, I messed up again. And she essentially looks at me in the exact same light and goes, I trusted you. You promised me. And now the next time you tell me that you're going to fix this, that you're going to get better, I'm not going to believe you. I can't because believing you means I'm laying my emotions, my emotional safety, my mental well-being on the line. And you are essentially taking it and shattering it. And I can't handle that anymore. I can't have my heart broken anymore. So I don't want any more promises. I want actions. I want proof. And then I will decide when I can trust you again, when I feel safe with you again. And that's going to be another word that comes up regularly uh, next to trust is safety. So we, we talked a little bit a while ago about building your team and those people on your team should be those people that you can trust. And those, those people that you don't want to break their trust, you know, your, your therapist, your, your bishop or spiritual leader, whoever that might be, the, the people in your group. Now, now these people, because they're on your team, they, they love you. They're going to support you. They're going to, they're going to cheer you on. However, there's also going to come a time that if you just continue to break their trust, to make them promises and then break that that they're going to start to be like, look, we, we love the fact that you keep coming back and saying you're going to keep trying, but we don't really believe you anymore. It feels a little empty. So we got to yeah, see actions so, instead of words. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So the concept of action is super important. And, and we've talked about that a little bit about setting yourself up for success. You know, addiction makes us set ourselves up for failure. And so, you know, having the setting realistic goals uh, of action oriented things that you can build confidence in yourself and then build confidence in other people or, or rebuild that trust. Um, and, and I want to emphasize here whether or not you are um, active in any, any particular faith or church, addiction and, and particularly pornography and sex addiction damages your spirit. Um, it damages yeah. not just your, your brain chemistry um, and your sense of self. It really has a negative effect on your spirit. And so I just want to underscore that part of part of this action should be seeking out a spiritual leader to help address the spiritual side of this. Yeah. Um, if you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, one of those action steps is going to be confession to that spiritual leader about what you've done. So, and that can be a, that can be a, a scary thing. You know, you haven't necessarily interacted with a spiritual leader like that before. So, what was that like taking that leap of faith or extending that trust to your spiritual leader? And then, and how, how did that help ultimately help? Cause you went through a couple of them, <laughs> if I can say that, but more but than a that, couple. Yeah. <laughs> how did that ultimately help in your recovery and in, and in, in uh, cementing that action and in rebuilding that trust that had been broken with the people closest to you? So <laughs> you mentioned, I've been through a couple bishops, uh, just since I've been married, my, my wife and I have moved 14 times. 
which means we have had the opportunity to have. It's got to be some kind of a record, dude. It, yeah, fourteen <laughs> times in um, ten and a half years of marriage. And you're and you're not in the military, so you know we should no, just highlight that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, each of those places we, we places we went to had a different bishop. And since my struggles with pornography were never really ending, every single one of those bishops, looking back, I I kind of got this perspective of how each of them dealt with my problems differently. And as you said, with, with each of them, I was putting my trust in them. I was coming to them with very sensitive information, something that I was ashamed about, something that was damaging my marriage and myself. And I trusted them. And there were some that looking back had such a massive impact that I don't know if I ever would have had the courage to ever talk to my wife or a bishop ever again, if they hadn't been so amazing about it, if they hadn't made me feel so comfortable and confident in them not judging me and in them just loving the fact that I was a child of God and that they were seeing me through spiritual eyes. I never felt worse leaving their office where there were other bishops that after that first time going and talking to them, I never wanted to go in and talk to them again. They had such strong opinions and these are imperfect men and I don't fault them for this at all. Um, I know I talked about in the past that I I had a bishop that had a very personal reaction to what I had done to my wife by being unfaithful. And so I I don't fault him at all for feeling triggered by what I was telling him. But I didn't want to talk to him anymore because I left that office feeling like I was the scum of the earth. Like, like I was, there was no way that I would ever be forgiven for what I had done. And the shame set in and I just spiraled out of control and felt completely abandoned by, by the church, by my bishop, by heavenly father. And it was because, you know, it was, those were the consequences of my actions. That was my fault. It was just the the way that it was approached didn't really help me much. So, um, well, and yes, yes, and and that's part of life. You know, it's yeah. we're gonna cross paths with people that are are well suited to to help us on our path, and some that that will struggle with how to help us on our path. Um, what I take away from your story is that you kept trying, even when everything told you, you know, hey. I, I read the manual. They said I was supposed to go talk to this guy. I did. It went terribly. I'm not doing this again. <laughs> you know, you, you had, you had every reason to say, you know, check, got that off my list. Um, didn't work. Um, but you kept trying. That's one of the parts of your story that I love is that throughout the ups and downs, you never just threw in the towel. And I want people listening to take that away and, and apply that in their own personal recovery journey as they look to recover themselves. It's, it's to not give up. If, if you have one interaction that goes poorly, use that to learn from and go find, go find somebody else. Keep working at it um, because it, it's supposed to work out um, because everybody's human. Like you said, sometimes it doesn't. That doesn't mean that we give up. It means we learn from it and keep trying. There's a, have you seen the, uh, the Marvel movie, um, Captain Marvel? Oh yeah. I yeah. think that's my favorite in the Marvel universe. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good one. There's that, that montage near the end where she accesses her, basically her full potential by looking back and 
just remembering all the times that she was knocked down and kept getting back up. And I look at that scene and it's kind of a similar thing for me that I, I draw a lot of my power from being able to look back and saying, I never quit. Like, like you said, I never threw in the towel. I never said, you know, what? it's just not worth it. I, I never did that. And I feel like that's kind of where my superpower of wanting to help other people and, and wanting to tell my story and eventually changing and becoming the person that I am today. To me, that that's my superpower. Now, maybe that sounds a little prideful to look at myself as a superhero, but superheroes are are out there to bless the lives of others. They're out there to to help those that are in terrible situations. And so I've kind of, in my own eyes, turned to a life of wanting to go out there and save those that are, are feeling lost and struggling. Yeah, and, and I think and, the good news is that everybody can can have that superpower. Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's not, not like you, have to, you didn't have to be born on Krypton, you know, to, to have recovery work for you. Um, you can, you can develop the superpower of persistence of, of getting up the next day and the next day and, and keep getting up and trying until something works out. I love the superhero analogy. And I love, I love that it highlights that everybody, everybody can have that superpower. Now, it can, so it can be a little intimidating. I think you're highlighting how well, how, how going through that confession process can help and, and your spiritual leaders have, have, um, you know, insight and tools and, and, uh, special talents and blessings. Um, if you're a part of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we believe they have special authority and keys to help with your spiritual healing and regaining, you know, your sense of that you're a, you're a child, a son or a daughter of God. But, you know, it, it can be a little intimidating to go into that office for the first time. And you might be more comfortable talking with a friend. You know, I think we've all have, we all have at least one good friend who we look up to, who we think, you know, that guy's a spiritual giant. That girl is a spiritual giant. They always give the best advice. Um, you know, they pray, they study the scriptures. They, they never judge me. <laughs> they never judge me because there's a line right between confession Right. Versus having that safe and open conversation with with trusted people or people on your team, so why doesn't that count? You know, why can't I just go to my my best friend, um, who's kind of been my mentor maybe, and say, "Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Give give me advice, heal my soul." And then and then call it good and be like, "See God, yeah, I checked." <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, I, I think the the reason that it's so important to make sure that you're speaking to a spiritual leader versus talking to just a friend is that authority there there's there's someone that has the authority given to them by god that says that they are essentially a mouthpiece for him that they because i mean a lot of this that the broken trust and everything with the consequences and everything are going to lead to and and we'll we'll have another episode about this. We I think we say that every episode. We're going to have another yeah. episode about this topic. There you go. We <laughs> we just got to keep people coming back, you yeah. know. Just keep dangling those um, tidbits out there. But but it's this it's this concept of of boundaries. And there's no better setter of boundaries than than God. It's all throughout the scriptures, you know. If if we keep his commandments, then we will be blessed. It's that if and then type statements. And by those spiritual leaders being the mouthpieces of heavenly father, they are the ones that can establish those boundaries and say, okay, we, we know kind of what the, uh, where the line is. We know how we're able to tell how far you crossed it. And we can discern through that spiritual connection, through that authority that we've been given, 
what needs to happen in order for you to make a full repentance. Now, a, a friend isn't going to have that connection. They're not going to know the rules and regulations. They're not going to know the policies. They're not going to have that authority from, from God to be able to teach you this is how you make a full spiritual recovery. They can help you make a recovery of maybe how you feel, of, be, of getting it off of your chest. They can absolutely be a sponge or a weightlifter there, but that spiritual healing needs to come from someone who is spiritually authorized to help you through that. So, so if I'm hearing you, just like if I got a speeding ticket, I couldn't go to my friend who's got a perfect driving record and say, Here, I I feel bad about this. Here's the money. Uh, I'm just going to pay you. Yeah, no, you have to go to the courthouse or you have to to pay. Yeah, the uh, the uh, the correct authorities to get rid of that speeding ticket. That's a great analogy. So uh, in that, I I think you mentioned the word consequences, you know, and and they they have the ability and the, the spiritual gift of discernment to understand um, what are the correct consequences of your specific situation. Oh, this, this um, I, we, we could talk, <laughs> we could talk to anybody. And I think 10 out of 10 people would agree that generally the word consequences has a negative connotation. Like, absolutely. You know, summarize it in two words. Consequences suck. That's you what know, I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's challenge that stereotype or that, that paradigm a little bit. How have you found um, in your journey and your recovery in, in conquering your addiction and, and, and returning to who you are supposed to be, how have embracing and accepting those consequences actually helped in that recovery? Well, I, I think what needs to happen is we need to change our internal conversation, that internal voice that translates consequences as punishment and mm, yeah. change the translation Good. from consequences are guidance. Because if we look at consequences as punishment, then we're going to avoid them at all costs. We're not going to accept yeah. them. It's going to be a bitterness that we feel from consequences. And that's what, that's what had to change for me, where when I, when I had you know, bishops tell me that, look, you're, you're going to be disfellowshipped or you know, don't, don't take the sacrament for um, a few weeks and let's talk again. Those were consequences that I could have been really bitter about and said, you're just punishing me. All you're doing is wanting to make me feel worse about myself. I could view it that way, or I could say, okay, so what do I need to learn from this? You know, and, and understanding that I don't deserve to be punished. However, I do need to learn from what happened. I think so many people, because, and, and this is this is where, you know, consequences, especially within the church can get really touchy because one person can, um, cross the line just a little bit and be like severely or suffer severe consequences where another person will tell a story that they went way past the line and they got a slap on the wrist. And it's one of those things that's like, okay, how is that fair? And you got to go back to, okay, well, we're dealing with imperfect people. We're dealing with people that are doing their best. And if you look at how you dealt with those consequences, the learning experience is what mattered. It's not, it's not how long or how severe the punishment was or the, how bad the consequences were. It's how much did you actually internalize and gain from what you were told to go do? Um, going back to scripture reference, was it, was it King Naaman that was told to bathe in the River Jordan seven times? Yeah, seven times, yeah. Yeah, 
So he could have, he could have said, why, why, I mean, why that river? Why, why can't I go to a, a cleaner river or why can't I just do it three times? You know, maybe, uh, maybe this other king only had to do it twice. Why do I have to dunk myself seven times? And you can make all these comparisons, but in the end, it's like, okay, Heavenly Father knows what you need to do in order to gain the most from the experience and, and to learn the most because he knows you personally and individually. So if he says, go dunk yourself seven times, you do what he says and you don't view it as a punishment. You do it as you view it as guidance in order to make yourself more educated, more capable, you know, and it's a growing experience. Yeah. And, and I think trust is so integral in that, you know, trusting God and trusting that he does know you better than you know yourself. Yeah. Trusting that these, these spiritual leaders, bishops, stake presidents, pastors, that they are, they're striving to be in harmony with, with what God is telling them. And if there are consequences, um, that those are in harmony with with what God wants you to go through. It makes me think of when I was in maybe middle school, early high school, there was one of those uh, Marine Corps recruiting posters that said, pain is just weakness leaving the body. Oh, I heard you know? that all the time in cross country, <laughs> man. Yeah. Right? I know so that it's, something that, it's something that everybody hears. Um, I've thought a lot about that. And I think I think that pain is inevitable in life. It's, it's just a condition of living and consequences are inevitable. The real question is what kind of pain or what kind of consequences do you want? You, you, can, choose, you can choose the pain of trying to lift heavier weights. And, and as that relates to recovery, you can choose that, that pain of I'm going to have my full disclosure day. I'm going to um, confess to my bishop and stake president. I'm going to accept whatever consequences come because it's going to make me stronger. And that's the healthy way, in my opinion, to, to, to confront that, you know, to invite that, that positive pain and that healthy pain, because the, the other side, the unhealthy pain is to let your world shrink around you right. and, and to get lost in your addiction. That's going to be just as painful in the short term and more painful in the long term than any discomfort, embarrassment, um, any sort of sacrifice of ego, any of that pain that comes from engaging in your recovery process in a healthy way. You know, if, if nothing else that I say sticks tonight, I, I think that's what I would want to leave with people is where, where you're at right now, pain is inevitable. Do you want the healthy pain or the unhealthy pain? Right. And choose, choose the pain, embrace, embrace the pain that's going to give you what you want in the long run. Embrace those consequences that are going to help you evolve and become that person that you thought that you had lost. I love that you said that. And just one last little point that I, I want to touch on that, you know, in order to, to, to end on a note of hope, guys, you can rebuild trust. It, it, it can come back. Absolutely. Absolutely. It just, it, it takes time. And just as importantly as taking the time and being patient with the process is in order to rebuild that trust, not only with God and with the other people that you've hurt, but in order to rebuild that trust within yourself, you have to prove it through your actions because words are not going to be enough when you're overcoming addiction. You can't just say, I want to get better and cross your fingers and hope for the best and wish upon a star. It does not work that way. It takes 
an immense amount of daily effort. One of the most powerful things, in, in my opinion, are, are the people that they, they tend to di- just disappear for a few months. And then they, you, you know, you don't hear from them for a while. And then they come back and you're like, where have you been? They're like, oh, actually, um, I checked myself into a rehab facility. Yeah. And I have been clean and sober for three months now. I lead groups, I mentor people, I quit my job that was a problem for me, and they've completely transformed their lives. And they weren't out there making empty promises to people saying, I'm going to do better, I'm going to change. They said, you know what, it's time for action. And they, they took that step to check themselves in to say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And it's the same thing when you step into a bishop's office. I will accept these consequences with an attitude of, if this is what it takes, so be it. I will do whatever it takes in order to heal and to feel better. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. And maybe, maybe we can end on this. Has it been worth it? Of all, everything that you have gone through, everything that you've seen your loved ones go through, all the, all the pain that you have felt, all the, all the tears you've cried, all the weight that you have had to shoulder um, from those consequences and discussions that you've had with spiritual leaders, um, has it been worth it? Um, <laughs> I actually like, sorry, I started getting a little emotional just when you, just reflecting on, on, uh, when you asked that, um, I don't believe there has been a greater endeavor in my life than making the change that I have made to get away from this addiction and, and to turn my life over to God and to start helping people so they don't have to suffer the way that me and my wife and my family suffered. So, and I I want people to hear that. I'm sorry. I'm going to cut you off there. And I want you to finish. I want people to hear that because, and if you're listening to this, share this because people need to hear Cameron's answer right there. They feel so alone. If they're, if they're at their rock bottom or on their way down, they don't think anybody else is, is going through this. And, and worse than that, they don't feel like there's any way for them to get back or to become better or to have happiness again. So share this because people need to hear that it's worth it, that it's going to take work, but that there's hope and there's happiness and it is worth it. Guys, there, there is no better end goal. There is no better light at the end of the tunnel than a healthy lifestyle where you are in control and you are connected and you finally can look at yourself in the mirror and say, I love who I've become. And I know that God loves who I've become. And I know that my family loves who I've become. And that has made all the difference to be able to love myself for the first time since I was a child has made every step, every agonizing step up this mountain completely worth it. So don't stop fighting. Don't give up as hard as it is. Just keep pushing And I promise you, you will feel the same way that you have never embarked on a greater and more satisfying journey than the journey to improve and change yourself for the better. Absolutely. Underneath all of that dirt and grime and shame that your addiction and the devil tries to heap on you is a child of God, a son or a daughter of God who is worthy of love, worthy of loving themselves, worthy of being loved by other people. Um, so keep up the fight, keep up the, the hope and, and hold tight 
to the knowledge that you are someone worth recovering, that, that you are, are an amazing person with great potential, that your addiction does not need to define you, that your recovery can lead you to who you are meant to be. So thanks for listening. Um, share this, share the message of hope and keep on that path to recovering yourself and who you're meant to be. Yeah. And, and guys go in, go in and uh, you know, if it, if it doesn't break the spirit um, that, that I think we're all feeling right now, go in and give us a, give us a, a rating on Apple podcast, go in and like Chris said, share this. It, it's, it's not for us. We, we are here doing this because we want to help people. That is our entire goal. And if you have that same desire and someone's name pops into your head, share this, give us a review, give us a star rating, subscribe to this, and let's help spread positivity and hope for change to as much of the world as we can. Um, Unless you're going to give us a one-star rating, then forget it. (laughs) (laughs) You're excused and you make it. That's right. Dismissed. Chris, thank you so much. Uh, thanks. Thank for- you, Cameron. Good, good talk. Thanks everybody for listening. Yeah. We'll see you guys next week.